You are alive to shine. I'm Beth. And I'm Kate. And this is the Shine Podcast, where we meet lots of different people and hear about the ways that they light up the world. And here's why we're doing this. We've been changed and affected by people who shine with the love of Jesus. And the world needs people like that and like you right now. So be encouraged and let your light shine. Hi. Hi. Beautiful. Thank you. We, is this thing working? Um, let's cross our fingers. This could just be Shout practice round. This could just be practice round. Yeah. We'll call you again. Hey, you want to want to repeat that? I'll let you know. It'll be great. Oh my goodness, it's been so long. We haven't aired a podcast for two weeks. Do we even know what we're doing anymore? Well, that's good because I you, we, you can wing it with me then. Not a clue, man. We had the Where best couples podcast for you all. Rob and Lisa did a fabulous job. We had a, a minor technical issue. Minor, minor, the minor technical issue. We lost the whole entire recording. Yeah, so, Rob and Lisa, gosh. if you're listening, it was so good. You guys wouldn't believe how good it was. <laughs> but you'll just have to wait <laughs> till next year's month of love to hear it again or all over. And who knows? By then, they may have a new chapter of their story to tell. All right, turn my phone. What is off. it? Like midnight? Damn. This is the latest we've ever been up. It's like midnight. Well, I wouldn't say up. This is the latest <laughs> we've, we've been ever recording. Recorded. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes she'll text me. You're at too 10, young to be going to bed that early. Random moments where she'll text me at midnight. But even at the ones at ten, I'm like, what is going on right now? Because she does go to bed at like eight o'clock, and I already not really eight, but I joke around. Because we're up at like midnight and one in the morning. And so when she texts me, like, shock. Yeah, because I'm up at like 5 a.m. sometimes. <laughs> yeah, she's a way, way early riser. I'm, I'm not. I can't do mornings. No, oh, well, this is just your cup of tea. <clears throat> Late for you. Yeah, this is my calming down part of the night. And I'm here. <laughs> oh, no. It's <laughs> <laughs> like 3 a.m. really calming down. <laughs> So much for going to bed at 10. Got our guests a little riled up today. (laughs) Do you do it like 10-ish? Usually. The girls go to bed all 7, 8 o'clock, and then I'll take a couple hours and just decompress and, Mm -hmm. you know, chat with James and maybe just not do anything Mm -hmm. or play a game on my phone and pretend to watch TV at the same time. (laughs) Is Patrick living with you guys? Mm -hmm. So he gets to see him. All the time. Oh, yeah. He's such a big help with them. It's so weird to have students who are parents and are now adults. That's strange for you, isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. Did you have Patrick? Yeah. Yeah. So you got married to James in 2010? 12. Oh, so this year's 10? 10 years. Isn't it your anniversary, too? November 17th? Yeah. Yes, we have the same one. Yes. I forgot. I said that we had just gone to Jalisco for dinner or so. We haven't been out to eat in, gosh, I don't know, months and months and months. Mark and I went to a movie and dinner on Whoa. Saturday, and he said it's been two years since we've been on a date, like to the movies or to dinner, besides our anniversary each year. But I'm like, has it been that long? And the power went out. That's not The good. power went out. In, I mean, we've done stuff, but we haven't gone to the movies. It's been two years since we've been to oh, the like, movies. Oh, and commenting like pre-COVID type. Yeah. yeah. And the power went out. 
Oh, in the in movie the, theater? Yes. Oh, jeez. Oh, oh, oh. I don't like that. These bright lights came flashing on, and they recovered, but... What were you watching? Uncharted. I gave it two thumbs up. Cute. What's Uncharted? Marky Wahlberg, Marky Mark, and Tom Holland. Okay. They're, it's kind of yeah. like a... Oh, it's like an adventure thing. Yeah. And they're in the sky in a boat or something. Yeah. The girls were bad. Oh. The girls were the villains. <laughs> Can't make Mark Wahlberg the bad guy. No, he's got to be the good no, guy. No, he was good. Were you like a big Marky Mark fan back in the day? I don't even Marky remember Marky. him. Is that the group? Yeah. Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> I think he's my time? age. How old is he? Let's Google him. I think he is our age. So you were more like around during Calvin Klein years. I don't know if I paid attention to him. <laughs> Mark, he's my age. I guess he was around Stop when it. I was a teenager. Totally around. Marky Mark. I missed out on all the boy bands. I don't know. I, I remember really the name. I don't what was know it? that I can the tell you. The Funky Bunch? Isn't that right? The Funky Bunch. What boy band was around when you were? Gosh, boy band. It was the big hair bands when, when I was a teenager. The like, big you know, hair bands? Yeah, it was like the Scorpions and Wait, and all of those guys. What's that guy's name? The big blonde. Oh, well, he was a rapper. I wasn't really into rap. That's why. He wasn't like a boy band. D. Snyder. D. Snyder. <laughs> Twisted sister. All right. That's probably like why Liam, what's his name, wanted to be in an underwear commercial because Marky Mark was. Who's Liam? Liam who? From One Direction. Oh, gosh. How do you know oh, these things? What are... YouTube. <laughs> I'm, all, I'm just discovering all of it. I... <laughs> I'm pretty sure I don't want to discover that. <laughs> oh, I actually haven't seen it. <laughs> Anyhow. But that's what he did. He was a rapper, and then he decided to go be a Calvin Klein. I'm trying to figure out oh. what his quit for Lent. Listen, it's Fat Tuesday tonight. Yes, it is. Uh, well, we had pancakes tonight. That's close. Not exactly jumping into Fat Tuesday, but it's like a Shrove Tuesday thing where pancakes, mm-hmm. we were using all the eggs and butter up before oh, Lent. Mm-hmm. So we did have pancakes and bacon. Are you observing Lent? Mm-hmm. Like giving things up? Mm-hmm. I'm giving up sugar. I need to give up sugar and wheat. I am. I'm going to give up sugar. That's really intense. Mm-hmm. But you know what? You feel so much better. You do. Your joints don't hurt. I don't know. I haven't decided yet, but I need to decide quickly. But I do want to really get into it this, this month. Are you already off sugar and wheat still? I fell off the bandwagon. Oh, you're back off. Okay. It's hard. It's so hard. It's hard getting back off. I don't off. even know how you did it as long as you did. It was like months and you, months and months. I was going to say, you were amazing. Did you know that sugar is just as addictive as cocaine to your brain? They did a neurological study. And I said, I believe it because it's really hard for me to not have sugar. That's what Lent's about. You're supposed to give up something that's a true sacrifice. I'm going to try. I was going to give up something challenging, but I didn't feel like I was going to. What's more challenging than sugar? I don't don't (laughs) want me. No, I just don't Oh, that that. looks painful too. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you next week. No, you got to tell no, us tomorrow. Ha- yeah, you have you to do tell it us tomorrow. before you leave tonight. I was, I'll think about it tonight, and then when we record next Tuesday, I'll tell you where I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> tonight, she's going to give up seven things, and then by next Tuesday, she'll say what she's sticking with. <laughs> <laughs> so you went to Crestview. Where, how did you meet James? Oh, my gosh. So when we first moved here in 1977, my brother played baseball in Columbiana, and my dad was a coach. And James played on one of my brother's opposing teams. 
became friends with my brother. So I've known him since he was 10. You know, then life happens. You know, you know, I was 13. I didn't pay any attention. Then I started delivering mail. So I was delivering his mail every day. And I was like, oh, no way. James Engel, I know this name. So I'd go on the porch and I would deliver the mail. And there would be Kaylee and Brittany playing in the front room. And they would wave to me. That was in 1999. So then uh, Zach and his dad were in an accident. When he was in surgical intensive care, James came with my brother to visit him in the hospital. And I don't remember him being there. And then in January of 2011, I posted on Facebook that the pipes in my trailer were frozen again, because it's just what happens in January in trailer. A friend of ours, Mary, commented back and said, don't you have some man that can help you with that? And I was like, really don't need a man to help me with that. Pretty sure I'm good on my own. And so she private messaged me and said, I know this really nice guy. And well, you know how that always ends up. And I thought, all right. She said, he's going through a rough time. You're going through a rough time. Maybe you could, you know, help each other. Okay. Being the person that I am, I'll see what I can do to help this poor guy. And so we started chatting on Facebook and I remembered the name and I said, how do I know you other than delivering your mail? It's like baseball, your brother, and then it all came flooding back. It was just like it was meant to be that way. So it's definitely a God thing, and we claim that. All right. You feel okay? I guess. It'll be great. Welcome, Shine Podcast listeners. It's Beth. Oh, it's Kate. Look and, at you. And we are here with Deanne Ingle. Welcome, yes. Deanne. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, she's a little nervous tonight. A little. It's almost midnight here at the Pine <laughs> oh <my laughs> Podcast. It's almost midnight, almost midnight in my world at Shine Podcast <laughs> Studio, but we're happy to have Deanne with us. <clears throat> Deanne was born in Hackensack, New Jersey. No way. Mm-hmm. She lived in New Jersey until she was about four years old, and then she moved to Jamestown, New York, in the Buffalo area, where her mom grew up, and they moved several times around New York, the last being Syracuse, and then they moved to Columbia. When did you, you left here for Boston for almost a year and then returned mm-hmm. after you moved to Columbiana? Mm-hmm. And we came back to the same house because it didn't sell. Okay. So they moved to Columbiana, left for a year to Boston. Their house didn't sell. So they moved back to Columbiana and she's been here ever since. How is Boston? Oh, it's awesome. Boston's, oh, it's just it's beautiful, and of course the weather is amazing, and we were there in the fall. That makes it even better. We went there once. It was a drive through because we were on our way to Bar Harbor, but we stopped at Filene's Basement. No? All right. No. They told me it was a famous spot. <laughs> <laughs> well, it may be. I was there in ninth grade, so I don't know. <laughs> All right, never mind. <laughs> Moving on. Deanne's a graduate of Crestview High School. School was tough for her because she moved so much. She went to seven schools by the time she was 14 years old. Oh my word. She was always the new girl. And the older she became, she was the new tall girl. And you can't hide or escape that. How tall are you? Six one. How old were you when you stopped growing? I was in seventh grade and I was six one. I was 13. You were wow. six one in seventh grade. Mm-hmm. We should get a picture of tonight because, like, you're six foot, you're six one, I'm five three. We should like definitely get a photo before we leave. 
Deanne is a, is a jack of all trades. She's been a bank teller, a mail carrier, a retail cashier, a small business development director, accounting professional, and a small business owner. She was married to Lyle for 11 years, and they had three sons, Zachary, Patrick, and Benjamin. When did you get divorced? 9-11. Divorce was final on 9-11. 2001? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. She met James... 10 years later Ten years. and has been married to James Engel for almost 10, 10 years. Almost 10 years. James is the winner of the chili cook-off contest this year. <laughs> Besides her boys, she's raising, help raising two of her granddaughters, Vivi and Abby. They've been around the upper room for a long time. They are <laughs> uh, fun girls. Yeah, they are. I love them in their dresses, dancing around. Deanne has her associates in accounting from Kent State. She's got a bachelor's in accounting from the University of Phoenix. She likes to cross-stitch, crochet. She likes reading. And granddaughters are her hobby or where most of her spare time goes nowadays. She started coming to the Upper Room in 2011 with James. And they got married about a year later. So happy to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for coming. At midnight. (laughs) At midnight. (laughs) And staying. Coming and staying. Coming and staying. So tell us, who or what turned your light on? So when I was 14, my friend from school invited me to go to church with her. She attended the Assembly of God up on Glenwood Boulevard, which was right next to my church, St. James Episcopal Church. So I went to her church with her and answered the altar call. Now, I grew up in the Episcopal Church and was always really firmly grounded in my faith and that I knew all about the stories in the Bible and Jesus and the sacrifice. And But I never knew about the importance of having a relationship until I went to church with her that day. Then everything changed. Literally, it was like a light came on and, and everything became clearer. When I was about 20, I think... My parents moved to Pennsylvania, and so I was here by myself. The atmosphere of the church changed for me when my parents left, so I just stopped going. I was going to the Episcopal, still going to the Episcopal church where I was going with them. So I stopped going, and then I met Lyle, and he was attending the Letonia Mennonite church. So going from one extreme to another, (laughs) but the Letonia Mennonite Church is kind of like our church it's as far as service structure. You know, you have the hymns in the beginning, and then you have the sermon. So that just became home. I've been to several churches since the time we got divorced, and they've all kind of had the same, the service kind of set up. So it was very comfortable coming here. The thing that I loved the best about it, and I still do, is the music. So you were raised in the church, but at 14, you realized it's not just a list of rules or a tradition. It's really about a relationship. So when you say it changed everything, like what did that relationship with Jesus do for you? Think Things became clearer. The Bible made more sense. I began to see God's hand in things around me where I didn't see that before. Felt like... I was able to then be positive force for the kingdom. You know, I was able to spread that to people around me when I was I was spreading love anyway, but it felt different after that. Mm. It felt different to be kind to people for the right reason 
You know, it's always nice to be kind to people, but it just felt right and that I was doing the right thing. I feel like there's a lot in the Bible about people having the eyes of their hearts enlightened, Mm -hmm. you know, or hearts that have been darkened. Just the idea that like when you're saying things get clearer or something becomes more real, you know, that's the Holy Spirit work. And we see that in the scripture, you know, even Paul praying, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in something. Even the apostles were praying for the people in the church. They would understand the realness of their faith. Yeah. So tell us, what lights you up? I guess this point in my life lights me up. Oh, tell us about that. That's such an interesting answer. I like that. Well, there's so many seasons of your life and so many seasons of my life and being married and being divorced and raising three kids and going to school and getting my degree while I was doing that and all of the different phases of life that you go through to get to where you are presently. Right now is joyful. Right now is filled with children laughing in my house and uh, having all three of my boys close by again. Uh, of course, Patrick living with us, so he you know helps with the girls too. But they really are why I get up every day. How old are they now? Violet's well, was five in October, and um, Abby will be four in June. Seems like just yesterday they were. So because you're kind of primary caregiver at the moment, parenting slash grandparenting. Yes. Do you find yourself doing things totally differently than with the boys? I am told that I do. By the boys, probably. (laughs) I hear from them all the time. Mom, you would never have let us get away with that. (laughs) So is it because you've matured or because they're grandbabies? I think it's partly because they're grandbabies and partly because I don't have the energy that I did when I was raising my boys. (laughs) It's just tiring, but so worth it. How old were you when your kids were five and four? Well, I would have been 29 when Zach was five. So it's like 20 years later, you still have, you've got four and a five-year-old, but you're 20 years older. Yeah. And I feel like 40 years older. older and. But it's fun. It's different every day, and they're constantly making us laugh <laughs> about something. What have you learned in these 25 years? You're glad you have the wisdom on this side of raising kids that maybe you didn't feel like you had when you were younger. I think it's about maybe patience, patience and a little bit of tolerance that I didn't have raising my kids. And I think that's why my boys say, you wouldn't let us get away with that. I feel much more patient now. You're not, you're not old enough to feel patient yet. But I mean, as compared to when Kana was a baby and Kana being 15, in the 15 years of having a child grow up, way more patient. I wish I could take that patience back mm-hmm. to babyhood. I really do. You get so busy just doing life and getting through the who needs what for school the next day, what do I need to do for work the next day, and what am I going to make for dinner when I get home. You just go through the motions, and then you wake up. They're all grown up, and they don't, they don't need that anymore. Did you have a morning, a morning process? I feel like there's so many women I know who the kids leave home, and then it's sad times for a while. Or are you okay? <laughs> I was actually relieved when we we went through the very short empty nest period because I didn't have to get to a baseball game. I didn't have to. Not that I didn't love those things because I do, but 
I could spread out my crafty stuff on the dining room table and I didn't have to worry about it getting knocked over or spilled spilled on or, or anything like that and could just sit and not do anything if I wanted to. And the house was quiet. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't remember feeling like parents talk all the time about having this melancholy, oh my gosh, I'm going to be an empty nester. I don't, I feel bad because I didn't feel that way. <laughs> I was, I was like, you guys go do your thing, you know. <laughs> I've done my part now. Go spread your wings and I'll be here if you need me. Did you guys have the girls too? James's girls? Yeah, but they were gone. Benjamin was the last one to leave. That's interesting. I don't feel like we've talked a whole lot about blended families at all. No, we haven't. It was a very full little house for a while. Certain points, there were seven of you because mm-hmm. you were all under one roof mm-hmm. at the time. And then come the grandbabies. Come the grandbabies. I mean, talk about seasons. That's a lot of different types of seasons that you've lived. I mean, you were just talking about of all the seasons, this might be your favorite at the moment. That's Mm -hmm. a a lot of different experiences. Well, I guess we could ask, do you have advice for blended families? Because we we just haven't had that conversation a whole lot. I'd love to hear your thoughts and advice. What what I would say is the most important thing to the step-parent. You're the step-parent. Don't try to be the parent. Don't try to take the place of the person your spouse was married to. The children won't like it. It will cause discord everywhere, and that discord hangs around. It's something that causes a rift in the family on both sides, and so it's really, really important to be stepmom or stepdad. Did somebody give you that advice early on or did you have to learn that the no, hard way? No, I learned way? it. I learned it. It's not an easy thing. So what's the role of a stepmom in your case? Well, with, with Brittany as an example, I was kind of her sounding board. She Maybe because she was older, it wasn't like I was taking the place of her mom. But she would come and talk to me about things that she wouldn't be able to talk to James about and didn't want to talk to her mom about. I guess part of that role as the kids are older is to be their friend. Counselors will tell you when you're raising children that they're your children, not your friends. But when you're a step-parent, you have to be their friend. You have to step out of the parenting role. And if you see something that needs to be adjusted or needs to be addressed, then you go to your spouse and you say, I see your child doing X, Y, or Z. This is maybe the way I would handle it, but do what you think. Because a lot of times the other parent doesn't see that it's happening where an outsider does. But as a step-parent, you can't jump into that role. You can't be the authoritative person. Did that add a layer of stress to your marriage that you weren't expecting? No, I don't think so. I saw when my first husband got remarried, it was really difficult for the boys. And I saw what that did to my kids. So when I married James, I just refused to put my kids and his kids through what my kids had already gone through, if that makes any sense. But it was more about observing what had happened, and what had happened to friends of mine, too, that had been in similar situations with step-parents, and just deciding that I'm not going to operate that way. I'm all about making peace, you know. 
Yeah, but I mean, that's so good because that <laughs> takes humility. I mean, deciding to kind of take the lower role, not being the authoritarian, mentioning things instead of demanding things, mm-hmm. and being willing to listen rather than speak over. I mean, those are all... And, and it's hard as being a strong personality like I am to keep my mouth shut sometimes. <laughs> Did you figure out your number? My number, yes. I am a nine wing one. Stubborn. Tiny, tiny bit. Just just a tiny bit. But I get that from my dad. (laughs) Well, in this season of your life, which you're truly enjoying with adult children, adult stepchildren, grandbabies at home, how are you letting your light shine right now? I would like to think, and I try to do this wherever I am, especially if I'm out somewhere in a store, at church, at work try to be cognizant of what's happening around me. I'm a little bit of an empath, so I can tell if somebody needs cheered up a little bit. I'm always trying to observe in a store, does somebody need help? In reach line, something in, from the top shelf. Yeah, reach something. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's about it, too. Can you reach this for me? Um, but the other thing is, and I've really been trying to focus on this, is being aware of what the Holy Spirit would have me say to someone, being able to do it, you know? Two different things. (laughs) It is. It is two different things. And sometimes it's really stepping out of my comfort zone, but that's what I like to do. I like to minister to people that I don't know. But I think God does that to me on purpose. And there have been many times when I've gotten the nudge and I've gotten a word and I've gotten the person that I'm supposed to say the word to, and I just look up and I go, now? You really want me to do this right now? I really don't want to do this right now. And then I get a firmer nudge until I get to the point where I'm listening. I'll go do what you tell me to do. It always ends up as a blessing. It ends up as a blessing for the person, and it ends up as a blessing for me for sharing what the Holy Spirit would have me share. That segues into your question. Oh, it does. Blessing follows obedience. And even though you might need a nudge or two, because we all do, but the blessing of God follows that. God loves obedience. But do you have any supernatural stories that you'd like to share? Something along those lines. There's so many supernatural stories. I actually have started writing a book because I started looking back on my life saying, where did I see God moving? And then it got to the point where There were so many places that I saw God moving that I just decided to start writing them down. And whether anything comes of that, I don't know, but it'll be... It'll be a good notebook for my children and my grandchildren after I'm gone. And maybe right? I but I love that idea. Even if it doesn't become a book that you have all of these things written down for your kids to read, mm-hmm. all of these experiences you had that they'll know about. So many things have happened in my life that are unexplainable. Example, this is just one. That we were living in our old farmhouse, my husband and the three boys, two boys at that point. Lyle wasn't working. He was unemployed. I was working at, at Kent State Salem. And the beginning of the week, I had $15. And I had a half a tank of gas. And I knew that there was no way I was going to make it through the week with $15 and a half a tank of gas. By the end of the week, I was not going to be able to get to work. Somehow, at the end of the week, I still had a half a tank of gas and $15. I don't know how. I don't know how. 
same year, I was pregnant with Ben. The back of my old Ford Bronco, <laughs> the back door didn't lock. But I was parked at Kent Salem and I was working. I was right before Christmas break. And so I was leaving work that day and I was tired and I was pregnant. I just wanted to go home. I didn't think Christmas was going to amount to anything for the kids. I didn't know what I was going to do. We didn't have two nickels to rub together. The kids weren't going to have any presents. I wasn't going to, it was just horrible. I walked out to the parking lot and I looked at my truck in the dusk and I bent down and I looked at the truck a little bit more and tilted my head and looked at my truck. And as I got closer, I saw that the whole back end of my truck was full of toys and presents and food. The whole back end of my truck was packed full of stuff. And so I cried all the way home. Mm -hmm. So many of those kind of stories. There's actually a story from here. It wasn't long after we were married. And we always sat that like at the back row. And there was this kid, I'm going to call him a kid younger than us, that came in and was sitting across the aisle from us. And I got the familiar nudge. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? <laughs> I'm in the middle of the church service. What do you want me to do? I just had to go and sit next to this guy. I had no idea who he was. I don't know that he had ever been there before. I was barely here myself very long to even know everybody from the church. So I went over and I sat next to him. I said, I just really feel like I'm led to pray for you. Is that okay? And he broke down and cried and said that he came to church and was ready to give up on God. But he came to church that day and he said, if somebody reaches out to me, then I won't walk away. So I sat and I prayed with him. The Holy Spirit gave me words to give him that proved to him that I was led to talk to him. I prayed about things for him and with him that he needed to hear that I didn't know he needed to hear. And so we both ended up sobbing. But I've seen him a couple of times, and James told me who he is. Each time I've seen him, I just kind of nod to myself and know that I did God's work that day and hope that it made a difference somehow. He came back to church. I think that was my ultimate job that day was to keep him on the right path. When you talk about realizing that God wants a relationship with you and it's not religion, isn't it fascinating that he, he chooses us to play a part in affecting or blessing or being a lifeline to other people when he could do it all on his own, but mm -hmm. he chooses to partner with us when we walk in obedience it's so cool to see it when, you know, when you realize that was God telling me and I'm so glad I listened because this kid really needed to hear that today or this lady needed that prayer or whatever. And I mean, sometimes we do it, we take a step in faith and you're like, oh my gosh, I felt like a total idiot. And I don't know if you don't know, you don't know, right. but we're planting seeds. You know, Paul says some plant the seed, some water it, some, so we all play our part. But I just find that so fascinating that God chooses us and asks us to partner with him to make an impact on other people's lives and keep writing those stories down. Yeah, that's so mm -hmm. good. That's mm -hmm. neat. That's such a good idea. It's like those memorial stones, you know, in the Old Testament and set up those stones. Whenever the families would pass, they'd say, hey, kids, this memorial stone is here as a reminder of what God did. We were just talking in Sunday school, the sermon we listened to was see, hear, and remember. 
they were talking about, you know, seeing what God's doing, or sometimes we hear you say, God gave you a nudge, you know, you hear him say something to you, whether it's audible, or it's a nudge, or just have this impression that you're supposed to do something. And then there are times when you see nothing, and you hear nothing. (laughs) And that's when we need to remember what God has done for us. Mm -hmm. And so, I love it that you're writing that down and you have all those stories to draw from and it becomes a well when you feel like you're dried up. Like, I'm not seeing anything. I'm not hearing anything. But I remember, God, that you provided and Mm -hmm. you took care of Christmas. So you're going to take care of this situation. And I remember when you made my half a gallon of tank last a whole week and my $15 last the whole week. And so (laughs) when you run into another situation where you're feeling like I'm not going to have enough, you can remember what he did and it just grows our faith and it increases our hope. I actually got to pray with some Amish ladies. How cool is that? I love it. So Zachary and his dad were in this horrific car accident and well, that's another supernatural moment too. So it was just terrible. They were in a convertible and they rolled the car. They life flighted Zachary to St. Elizabeth's and he crashed in the helicopter on the way there. The and helicopter crashed? No, he crashed. His like in his heli- vitals while oh, he was in okay. the hospital. His the vitals heli- crashed. His vitals crashed <laughs> inside the helicopter. So they had to perform a tracheotomy. And of course I didn't know any of that. They just told me he's going to St. Elizabeth's, she need to go there. So I got to St. Elizabeth's and the nurse came out and she said, We have fourteen people working on him and we're trying to get him stable. So the pastor from the Mennonite church had heard about it and had met me there. And so we were praying in the waiting room. I was at peace. I wasn't scared. I wasn't, I don't know, I wasn't crying. I wasn't upset that he was in there fighting for his life. I didn't feel that. I felt at peace. It was about 11 o'clock and the nurse came out and got me and took me back into like a private waiting room area, took us back there. At 11.15... She came in from the door to the surgical unit, and she came up and she took my hand, and she said, you really need to go in and see your son. And I knew what she meant. She said that they were still having trouble stabilizing him and that I needed to go see him. And she said, are you prepared? She said, there's lots of machines. And and I said, yeah, I'm okay. So I went in. There he was. He had this huge gash on his face tubes everywhere and machines beeping and I just walked up and I I took hold of his hand and I just started to pray and I said God you know this is your son this is your child if if your will is to take him then so be it he's your child but if there's any way that you could just leave him with me I really would like you to leave him with me So I had to leave then because they had to start working on him again. And I went back to that same waiting room. And it was 12.15. Exactly an hour later, the nurse came in and I was waiting for the worst. And she said, he just stabilized and we're taking him for a CAT scan. And that's when I knew. That's when I knew that God said, okay, you offered your son to me and I'm gonna gonna let him live. It was during that time I got to spend a lot of time in that family waiting room in between being able to go in and see him. And uh, 
it so happened that an Amish man had gotten into an accident with his buggy. He had broken his neck and was in the surgical intensive care two doors over from where Zach was. And so his family was in the waiting room with me a lot. And we just began talking. The wife saw me in the corner with my Bible praying one day. And she said, would you like to come over and pray with us? And I, of course, said, sure. I felt honored that this family wanted me to pray with them. And so we did. And we did several times during that time when Zach was in. It was just so cool to be able to share with them. Well, I love all your stories. And I love that (laughs) that you're writing them down and that your kids will get to read them and your grandkids. And thanks for being obedient and listening to God when he's nudging you because you're making an impact. And we all need to do that. Follow those nudges. Well, it's been fun having you on the show. You did great. How's your so stomach? <laughs> I think my stomach's finally thanks, settled thanks down. Thanks for staying the whole time. Like We're so proud of you. <laughs> yeah, she's sitting on the edge of her chair when I came in. We appreciate your time. Yes, and so much. Thanks for sharing your story with us. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. Make sure you tune in next week for another special guest. Bye. Bye. Bye.